Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Monday, February 13th, 2023. It's been 3,274 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 355 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission to report the truth, because the truth matters. Before we get into it, I just want to say thank you to everyone for being so patient with the report while I have been under the weather, and thank you so much for the very thoughtful well wishes on social media. Did that sound sarcastic? I I meant that sincerely. I meant that very sincerely. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that Russia's large-scale offensive has started, and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, is attempting to retake the initiative throughout the theater of war. Second, we have less confidence now that Russian forces will launch a larger, concentrated offensive in one or more directions before February 24th, with some Russian mill bloggers and field commanders losing confidence outside of Bakhmut. Third, We maintain that early data indicates that Russian tactics and the quality of training for Mobik units is only incrementally better than the first wave into Ukraine in October, and the Russian military within Ukraine remains incapable of dramatically changing the battlefield situation in the coming weeks. Fourth, we maintain that the situation in Bakhmut remains critical for Ukrainian forces. Fifth, we assess that Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu has politically outmaneuvered private military company or PMC Wagner Group head Yevgeny Prigozhin, but the power struggle continues. Sixth, we maintain that the significant increase in disinformation and misinformation from Russian sources is being directed by Chief of the General Staff of the Russian Federation Armed Forces, Valery Gerasimov, as part of his hybrid warfare doctrine. Seventh, We maintain that the risk of punitive missile and drone strikes on civilians and civilian infrastructure continues, with weather unfavorable from February 13th to 15th. We further assess the risk of a major attack from February 23rd to 25th as extremely high. 
8th. We maintain that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. 9th. We maintain that the Russian Federation's inventory of caliber cruise missiles is critically low, based on the continued decline of launches from the Black Sea Fleet, with even fewer caliber cruise missiles involved in the February 9th and 10th attacks compared to January 25th and 26th. 10th. We maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. 11th. We maintain that stealth mobilization has started in the Russian Federation due to stop-loss orders for active-duty troops deployed in Ukraine and mobilization requests from the Kremlin in the occupied territories. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of an offensive operation is negligible. Further, this will be the last day we include this assessment unless the situation changes. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Svatova operational direction, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Novoselivsky was shelled. In the Kremina operational area, there was widespread positional fighting between squad and platoon-sized units near Ploshanka, Chervonopopivka, Pishane, and Shitlivka. In Kremina, a video showed a Russian advance between Yampolivka and Torske in Donetsk being hit by artillery and multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS. Although we have low confidence that Russian troops have established new positions in an area with limited cover, we extended the line of conflict west into the Donetsk Oblast. Luhansk Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Serhii Haidai stated that Russian forces had pulled, quote, a little bit, back to resupply. Fighting west, southwest, and south of Kremina and in the Serebriansky woods continued between squad and platoon-sized units and remains very heavy. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported Kremina was heavily shelled. In the Lysychansk operational area, the GSAFU reported an attack on Bilohorivka, one in Luhansk, was repelled. A geo-confirmed video by the LNR 2nd Army Corps showed tanks providing indirect or direct fire on Ukrainian positions in Bilohorivka, cementing that Russian troops have no positions within the town. The weather conditions of the tank firing did not match the weather conditions in the target area, with one exception. Further analysis of the video also has us questioning if this is a composite video showing staged tank fire intermixed with previously recorded attacks on the settlement. We couldn't find any terrain within range of the target area that matched where the tanks were located. The LNRJCCC claims Ukrainian forces struck the settlements of Lysychansk, Pervomaisk, Pokrovsk, and Novodruzhevsk with rockets fired by HIMARS and Pisarivka with a Tachka-U short-range ballistic missile. They did not provide any additional information. In northeast Donetsk, in the Kremina operational area, Ukrainian forces repulsed an attack on Torske. We maintain that Russian forces are attempting to advance on Liman as part of an attempt to re-establish lost positions 
and continue in advance towards Slovyansk. The GSAFU reported that Torska and Zarichne were heavily shelled, which could be part of setting conditions for a larger offensive. In the Siversk operational area, Russian forces continued attempts to advance on Fedorivka without success. In the Solidar operational area, PMC Wagner captured Krasnohora, releasing a picture of a squad of mercenaries on the western edge of the village. The reports of Ukrainian troops being encircled were false. In the Bakhmut operational area, intense fighting continued in Paraskovivka, which is being attacked in three directions. The situation is very difficult, but the risk of encirclement has been reduced. Intense fighting in the northern, eastern, and southeastern regions of Bakhmut continued. A geolocated drone video showed a Ukrainian BMP-4 providing cover fire in the northeastern part of the city. Based on the locations of where the infantry fighting vehicle was located and the target area, we moved the line of conflict east and north. Street-to-street fighting continues, but the video indicates that Ukrainian forces are pushing PMC Wagner forces back in this part of the city. Ukrainian forces report experiencing shortages of ammunition, having to conserve artillery, and lacking secure radio communications. In the Kostyantanivka operational direction, heavy fighting continued. The terror unit of Ukraine released a 20-minute video showing a number of artillery and drone strikes and positional fighting west and northwest of Klishyivka. Our team analyzed the video, geolocated numerous locations, and determined the video was likely recorded toward the end of January based on weather conditions. Despite the outdated intelligence, it is an improvement from no intelligence. Based on our analysis, we made a minor adjustment to our map, moving Russian troops about 500 meters farther south of Ivanivsky and 1,500 meters farther east of Stupochki. We no longer believe that PMC Wagner or Russian forces have a significant presence west of the Siversky Donetsk Donbass Canal. Our analysis is supported by reports that Ukrainian forces have stabilized the situation along the T-504 ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, between Kostyantanivka and Bakhmut, and a late report from the GSAFU of an attack repelled in the area of Klishyivka versus Chasivyar. Some assessment? Although this is a positive assessment, it doesn't change the fundamental situation that PMC Wagner and Russian forces are slowly pushing into Bakhmut from three directions, and the situation is fluid. Both combatants are suffering significant losses, and we maintain our assessment that Russia will fight to capture Bakhmut at all costs. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, Russian offensive operations were scaled back. The reason is unclear. The residential quarter of Avdiivka was heavily shelled in the morning. Russian forces attempted to advance into Pirvomaiske without success. In the Marinka operational area, there was positional fighting in the center of Marinka, and Russian forces attempted to advance on Pobida without success. In the Ukhladar operational area, the Russian MOD reported their forces shelled Ukrainian troops in Pavlivka. The GSAFU reported that a Russian offensive on Ukhladar was repelled, supported by videos. 
One video showed two Russian tanks traversing the northern edge of the gray zone on our map, driving over landmines. A second video showed that three Russian tanks were destroyed by Ukrainian artillery fire in the gray zone northeast of Shevchenko. Alexander Kholakovsky reported that his operational headquarters near Ukhladar was destroyed in a HIMARS strike, killing at least one senior officer. There were reports of fighting on the eastern edge of Krasnohorivka, but it was unclear if it was the settlement north of Avdiivka or the one north of Marinka. Both are on the line of conflict, and both have been subject to recent attacks. Russian propagandist Radion Miroshnik reported a major explosion in Mariupol's Ilyich Steel and Ironworks area. Russian forces have a growing base of operations in that part of the city, including a helicopter base. There was no other information at the time of recording. Insurgents in Mariupol reported three loud explosions in Nikolsky, near school number three. Russian occupiers claim the blast was caused by a Tachka U-SRBM being intercepted, while local residents reported multiple explosions that were, quote, heard for some time, end quote. Large numbers of semi-trucks headed east toward the Novoazovsk border crossing into Russia. The Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, reported that the Petrovsky district was shelled by Ukrainian forces, killing one person. What they neglected to add in the report is the video showing the strike hit an ammunition depot at the base of a mining waste heap in the middle of a residential neighborhood. Oddly enough, there wasn't any statement from Amnesty International about the Russian practice of placing ammunition and firebases in residential neighborhoods of Donetsk. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. In Zaporizhia, there was no change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported there are 12 vessels of the Black Sea fleet on patrol, including two Kilo-class submarines capable of launching up to eight caliber cruise missiles. Russian engineers were working on surfacing the new bridge deck on the second span of the Kerch Strait Bridge, The Kremlin has set a deadline of March for the highway section to reopen, while the rail bridge isn't expected to be operational until late summer. In western and central Ukraine, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. Russian forces carried out 49 fire missions, nine on the city of Kherson, killing three and wounding one. Ukrainian forces continued to shell Novokhovka, and OCS reported that two more private boats carrying Russian DRG units were destroyed on February 11th. In Dnipropetrovsk, Russian forces appear to be testing Ukrainian air defenses. A reconnaissance drone was launched with several balloons. The balloons had an array of corner radar deflectors to create very low-budget decoys. A Ukrainian official said, quote, They began to attack in small groups in the evening. They are studying the work of our air defense, and reconnaissance drones may appear to examine the consequences of the strikes. End quote. 
If you are wondering if the radar reflectors match the mystery objects the United States Air Force shot down over the Yukon Territory of Canada, Alaska, and Michigan over the weekend, the answer is no. Russian forces shelled Nikopol and Markhanets, killing one, wounding two pensioners, and putting one in the hospital. In Nikopol, private homes, apartment buildings, a college, and critical infrastructure were targeted, while in Markhanets, 20 private homes and farm buildings were damaged or destroyed. In north and northeast Ukraine, in the Sumy Oblast, 52 artillery shells and mortars struck the Hromadas of Esmen, Znobnovhorod, Krasnopilia, and Yunakivka. Esmen was hit by 32 mortars, with a cafe damaged. There were no casualties reported. In the Dvorichna operational area in Kharkiv, mercenaries with Rybar felt compelled to remind everyone that Russian forces captured Dvorichne last week. Claims about the capture of Hryanikivka may have been overstated, with Rybar claiming that Russian troops are only in the, quote, northern outskirts. The number of artillery strikes continues to increase, with Kupyansk and Dvorichna heavily targeted. Kharkiv was hit by three more S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack, damaging civilian infrastructure and wounding one person. On the Russian front, the border town of Shibikino was shelled, damaging homes. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukraine is restricting journalist and civilian access to Bakhmut starting today, Reporters and aid workers will still be admitted with a pass provided by the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense. Ukraine released a video of an internally developed drone powered by a piston engine, but used Rocket Assist Takeoff, or RATO, to launch. There was no other information about the drone's capabilities or a confirmation that this is the 1,000-kilometer drone in development. On the night of February 11th, Four Shahed-136 kamikaze drones were launched from the Azov Sea region. All four were shot down without incident. Kremlin-supported hacker group Killnet launched a distributed denial-of-service, or DDoS, attack on the NATO Special Operation Forces website, knocking the public page offline over the weekend. Pakistan is providing Ukraine with 10,000 grad rockets. There continue to be reports that the United Kingdom is considering providing Ukraine with Storm Shadow cruise missiles with a range of 400 kilometers and Harpoon anti-ship missiles with a range of 240 kilometers. At 240 kilometers, Sevastopol remains out of reach, but the area of safe operation for the Black Sea Fleet would get significantly smaller if launched from the Odessa region. Speaking of of out-of-reach, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Russia reportedly received additional drones from Iran, including 12 Shahed-129 and Shahed-191s, and 6 Mohajer-6. The Shahed-191 is loosely based on a United States RQ-170 Sentinel drone that Iran shot down in 2011. The 191 is a flying wing with a range of 300 kilometers and a payload of 53 kilograms, the Mohajer 6 has an operational range of 2,000 kilometers, a payload of 150 kilograms, and four hardpoints to mount guided missiles or small bombs. The Shahed 121 is a reconnaissance drone. 
PMC Wagner executed another mercenary with a sledgehammer and shared the video. Dmitry Yukoshenko, a penal mercenary convicted of robbery and murder, was returned to Russia in a POW exchange on December 1st. He was visible in Russian MOD and Russian state media videos. Despite the evidence, Wagner claims that Yukoshenko defected to Ukraine four days after arriving and was captured in Dnipro. The video is extremely graphic, is not suitable for work nor for children, and although the version we share is blurred, many will find it disturbing. As with most of the photos and videos we reference, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. Yevgeny Prigozhin attacked the Kremlin and its narrative that Russian troops are now leading the fight in the Solidar and Bakhmut operational areas, saying, quote, After the capture of Solidar, and the mass hype that there was others in Solidar beyond the fighters of the Wagner PMC, of course my mercenaries were very unhappy. Therefore I want to emphasize that there is no one on Bakhmut. There are no special units that cover, pick up, and intercept some of our tasks. Within a radius of 50 kilometers, plus or minus, there are only Wagner PMC fighters who will take Bakhmut. End quote. Video and picture evidence show that statement is not true, and PMC Wagner has received support from Russian artillery and the VKS. In another post, PMC Wagner Telegram channels condemned the conviction of Alexander Leshkov, who is sentenced to five and a half to seven years in a so-called strict regiment penal colony for pushing his commander during mobilization. The social media network of the mercenary company encouraged regular Russian troops to commit fratricide, saying, quote, I tell you without joking and exaggerating, several middle-level commanders in the combat zone in Ukraine were simply lost in the attack under the guise of an accident or enemy actions. Only due to this, the fighters did not go and perform another suicide mission. End quote. The strongest statements against the Kremlin to date come hours after the RIA advised Russian state media to provide less coverage of Prigozhin and PMC Wagner. Russian mill blogger Andriy Morozov, or Murs, claims that tension is growing between Wagner and Mobix, with mercenaries threatening to kill Russian troops, claiming, quote, while working on the evacuation of wounded Wagners, they receive threats. We will shoot you if you do not bring our wounded out alive. People don't want to get a bullet in the back from their own for something they can't influence. We didn't sign up for this. End quote. State Duma deputy from United Russia, President Putin's political party, Sultan Khamzaev, proposed introducing criminal liability in the Russian Federation for insulting the heroes of Russia or the USSR. According to the deputy, the defenders of Russia do not have the time to respond to insults directed at them, so they require state protection. He used the criticism leveled at Lieutenant General Rostom Muradov for the disaster at Ukhlidar as an example of actions that should be illegal. Even before Khodakovsky's headquarters got destroyed in a HIMARS strike, he had gone full doomer after bold predictions of a victory at Ukhlidar in late January. In a recent Telegram post, Khodakovsky believes that Russia should stop the current offensive, saying, quote, I said and continue to think that now it is more optimal to act from the defense on the held lines, accumulating and preparing the potential necessary for a full-scale offensive, end quote. Okay, quick question. What was Russia doing since September 21st? Is, 
Is that not what they were doing? Khodorkovsky continued, saying, quote, We do not have time to accumulate the potential necessary for solving larger tasks. But not only the military is to blame for this technique. To a large extent, subjective factors influence their decisions today. Competition, being provoked to unprepared actions, and unrealistic expectations. When millions of consumers are waiting for good news, and when the army does not give it, the public mood is not formed as you would like. End quote. Two more Russian battalions have rioted and refused to fight in Donetsk. Mobiks from the Republic of Tatarstan appealed to the regional governor to be returned to the command of the Russian military. 24 hours later, a battalion from Kaliningrad made an identical appeal. Both units claim they were not trained in infantry fighting techniques and were told they would be territorial guards away from the front lines. They were transferred to the command of the Donetsk People's Republic, who stripped them of their heavy weapons and critical kit, such as winter sleeping bags, and told them they would be shock troops. Both units reached out to the Russian Ministry of Defense Prosecutor's Office requesting they be transferred back to their old command, and their request was refused. The Kremlin told them that the DNR was separate from the Russian MOD, and they would have to file a complaint with the DNR Prosecutor's Office. However, the Russian MOD claimed that the DNR First Army Corps was integrated into the Russian military as part of annexations, and that there is no distinction. This is the third unit to refuse to fight in 72 hours, and the largest number of rioters we've observed since June 2022. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's incredibly brief report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Jehovah's Witnesses, leaders, and followers who were mass arrested in Yalta in occupied Crimea have been sentenced to three and a half to seven and a half years in a penal colony for following the religion. One of the defendants, Daria Cusio, received a deferred sentence and then three years in a penal colony, which she will serve when her youngest, now eight, turns 14. In geopolitical news, Russia claims it's ready for negotiations with Ukraine. Sergei Vershinin, deputy head of the Russian foreign ministry, told Zvezda TV, quote, The classics say that any hostilities end with negotiations. And naturally, we have already said that we will be ready for such negotiations. But only to negotiations without preconditions. Negotiations based on the reality that exists. Negotiations taking into account the goals that we have publicly announced. End quote. Okay, quick note. The goals publicly announced by Moscow can be summarized as turning Ukraine into a rump state with a puppet government. Which doesn't really sound like negotiations. The U.S. State Department issued another alert for U.S. citizens in Moscow to depart immediately due to, quote, the high risk of illegal detention, persecution, and terrorism, end quote. Argentinian government officials are blocking pregnant Russian women from the country. They are accusing criminal gangs of organizing birth tourism to the South American nation because children born in Argentina receive automatic citizenship. 
Officials say thousands of women have entered the nation before the crackdown. I feel like I've seen this film before. Putting Jehovah's Witnesses in prison camps, militarizing school children, citizens fleeing to Argentina to avoid personal responsibility. It just, it sounds really familiar. In economic news, Swiss bank Credit Suisse has frozen more than $19 billion of Russian assets, representing over one-third of all funds that Moscow has declared are held in Swiss bank accounts. The Kremlin released data that shows that sanctions are taking a bite out of import duties, despite increasing the fees to bolster revenue. Custom fees collected by the Russian Federation are down by 172 billion rubles compared to January 2022, when 549.5 billion rubles were collected. Russia announced it's cutting back oil production by 500,000 barrels a day from the current level of 9.9 million barrels. They claim the measure is not being done due to oversupply or lack of customers, but an attempt to bolster oil prices. Earlier, we had reported that Russian oil sales were down 46% from a year ago. The ruble continues to decline as the new oil and gas price caps continue to cause demand destruction. In early trading, the exchange rate was 74 for one U.S. dollar. WTI and Brent crude are starting the week down, with West Texas Intermediate at $79 and Brent down to $85 a barrel. Russian Ural's crude is up, with an official price of $58 a barrel. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline on the spot market is starting the week down at $2.48 a gallon, or $0.65 a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures gave back its modest gains from last week, dropping to €52 per megawatt hour for March contracts and €53 for April. Chicago SRW wheat futures drifted downward to $7.89 a bushel for May 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.